Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 78 of The Snyder Cut. I'm your host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. And uh, yeah, you know, like I've said on, on the Twitters, it's been a rough week. I think we noted it last week, uh, you know, in last week's podcast. Been dealing with some some heartbreak, some heartache, but, uh, you know, working through it. And I appreciate you guys watching, listening, however you're consuming this podcast. Thanks to all the Insider Plus subscribers. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start the show. Let's do it. Where should we start? Let's, uh, let's go to Transformers. Let's go to the Transformers universe because... I don't know, about an hour ago, I broke the story just beating my pal Justin Crow at deadline. I knew he was on this. I just, I could just tell uh, that Anthony Ramos from In the Heights, In the Heights, is going to be the star of the next Transformers movie. This would be Transformers 7, technically, because uh, we had the five Michael Bay movies and then um, Travis Knight's Bumblebee. And uh, this one's from Stephen Capel Jr., who did Creed II, which was a pretty good sequel. Pretty good sequel. Um, this, I would not say, you know, comes as a big surprise. Like, Anthony Ramos has been, you know, ha had, a, had a date with destiny. He's been poised for major stardom pretty much from, you know, the second he was cast in Hamilton, I would say. Uh, but yeah, once he got in the Heights, it was just all, all but confirmed. Like, this is Hollywood's next big leading man. Um, you know, he, he, he signed on to that Amblin movie, Distant. I don't even know if that got shot or not. Uh, but like, when he got that gig, I, I was like, yeah, like, studios are taking this guy seriously. They're, 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 betting, they're betting on his future. Um, I, think, I think he's a good it's a good choice for Transformers, you know? I mean, people are seeing the Transformers movies, see the Transformers anyways. It's, they're not there for the human stars, although it doesn't hurt to have someone like a Mark Wahlberg, but they don't, they don't need that for, for this, right? And I don't think this is necessarily trying to be a billion dollar movie. I don't know if this is going to be a, a lower budgeted thing like, um, like Bumblebee was, you know, with, with Haley Steinfeld, where the budget was only, I don't know, what, 60, 70, 80 million, as opposed to like 200 plus million. Um, so I'm curious about the scale of this, but I like the concerted effort that Paramount is making to diversify this franchise and make it a little bit more inclusive since it has had all these, you know, white guys directing and a bunch of, you know, whether it's Shire or Haley Steinfeld, Mark Wahlberg, a bunch of white leads. So it's time to um, you know, make this thing a little bit more inclusive. That's why they got Stephen Cable Jr. Uh, directing. And, uh, and yeah, he was, you know, always pushing for a leading man of color. Uh, and yeah, it's, it sounds like Anthony is in final negotiations. You know, we had to be, when, you, when you're first on the story um, that you've been <laughs> reluctant to go through official channels on, uh, you got to, you know, make sure the language is, is, appropriate which is why we sort of lessened our language even though I'm, i was pretty sure he was the guy said he was being eyed to star deadline came in a few minutes later and said he was in final negotiations which was echoed by Hollywood reporters so it sounds like that's the official verbiage that the studio is giving to the trades um and yeah i mean th th this deal is going to close you don't turn down the lead in a, in a transformers movie unless you know marvel or dc is calling but I I, I don't, I haven't heard any uh, Anthony Ramos rumors regarding those universes yet. Um, 
Yeah, what else? I mean, I know Josh Cooley, the, the Toy Story 4 guys, he's developing an animated Transformers movie, right? And there's a Nickelodeon a a animated Transformers series. They also announced uh, in the past week that uh, Angel Manuel Soto, who did Charm City Kings and is directing the Blue Beetle movie for Warner Brothers, he's also developing another movie in the Transformers universe. Uh, I don't think that this would be necessarily designed as like a straight sequel to, to you know, Stephen Cable Jr.'s seventh Transformers movie. I don't know if this would, that, if that, this, you know, Angel Manuel Soto movie, which is going to be written by Marco Ramirez from uh, Daredevil, who I think is a great writer, by the way. Um, I don't know, you know, if, if that's going to be the, the Bumblebee sort of version of, of a spinoff and if this Stephen Cable Jr. movie will be a little bit bigger scope like the, the main Transformers movies. I'm just not sure what they have planned for the the overall universe expansion here. But again, between Steven and, and uh, Soto and, and Marco Ramirez and Anthony Ramos, you know, they're clearly going in, in, the, in a more inclusive direction and that is uh, heartening to see. Um, let's move over to Knives Out 2 and 3. I have, I have a, a, a reader, a listener. Um, good guy, you know who you are. Uh, he's, he's always emailing me things, you know, mostly about Carrie Fukunaga, the other, uh, so yesterday he, I got an email about Knives Out 2, like starting production in, in Greece this summer um, and whether I want to do a story on that. And, you know, like, listen, Frosty would probably love those that story. I've never been big on like start date stories. It's just, I don't really care whether, some, you know, as long as you're like, hey, it's going this summer. I don't need to know the day or the week or the month. Like, who cares? June, end of June, beginning of July, whatever. So I didn't really, you know, press on it. But I, I wish that I had. Because hours later, it shook out that, um, you know, that, that, that Knives Out 2 and 3 were heading to Netflix in a huge $450 million deal. Rumored, you know, in the 400 to $450 million range. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's like, well, if you do the math on that, that's $200, $225 million a movie. Like, why would Knives Out need that kind of thing? And it's like... I know that these are eye-popping figures that we're dealing with. I think that, uh, you know, I think that they still want to have big casts for these movies. I, I think that's part of the appeal is seeing a bunch of movie stars get together. Uh, you know, as with any murder mystery, because you want to sort of have a good mix of, oh, it's probably this person because he's a big star. Oh, maybe it's this person, you know, because they're not well-known and, and, they and, and they make the, like a good killer or a good red herring or something. I mean, that's why, you know, Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile have these big casts. It's really just to keep you guessing. Um, now, Knives Out 2, it's like a big part of that money, right? The, the 400 to 450 million, that's going to buying out all the back end. So like, you know, because I'm sure Daniel Craig was was poised for a nice payday if this thing had hit theaters, and and I think the first one was made on a forty million dollar budget. So you can you can automatically expect that the budget was going to go up on the sequel, right? Probably fifty percent to sixty million or so, maybe even more. Depends how much action they wanted these things. So Netflix has to buy out Daniel Craig's back end, probably Ryan Johnson's back end as well. And they've probably set aside a good dollar figure to buy out additional backends for, for A-list stars who command that type of deal. Um, I don't know if Knives Out 2 and 3 will be connected at all, or if there are going to be individual sort of standalone 
movies. You know, I mean, if, listen, if they're going the murder mystery route, yeah, I think that these things should be self-contained, you know, like have as many mysteries as you want of, uh, you know, with Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc. But I, I think you need a separate cast for, for number two, a separate cast for number three. So I don't know like what the deal is with Marta and Ana de Armas and if she's going to be returning to this. There wasn't really any mention of her in, in the stories. And I don't really know how she'd make sense. Um, I, but listen, I, I didn't think the first Knives Out made a ton of sense. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of that movie. I, it's not that, uh, you know, I, I didn't enjoy trying to you know play the guessing game and, and keep up with who's who and, and who's doing what and why but uh you know for me i could have forgiven all of its flaws if it just had a good like central mystery and, and i don't think that it, it did it kind of had a lot of clever wordplay you know or it's like you couldn't even you could not get away with the twists and knives out if they were written on the page you know in like a mystery novel um so and again, yeah, I, I just, I did not love Knives Out, the way that you sort of see who, you think you're entering a movie that's like who killed Christopher Plummer's character, and then you, they give you the answer, like within the first 30 or 40 minutes, and then there's another murder mystery nobody really cares about. It's all, I don't know, I, I thought it was pretty goofy. Uh, so anyways, it was like we were, I was talking about Knives Out Tuesday night with my weekly, you know, high school buddy poker game forget who brought it up but like you know half the table was split and with me they were just like eh kind of overrated don't really see what all the fuss is about and the other half was like no I, I it totally fooled me it had me guessing like I loved it um so it was just so funny that the very next day the Knives Out sequel news breaks I mean I, I think this is ultimately a smart move for Netflix I mean what what is money at this point who cares about adding half a billion dollars in, in debt um, you know, this is the type of thing that people are going to tune in for. And, uh, you know, I, I guess my heart just goes out to poor Lionsgate because I'm pretty sure Lionsgate was like counting on releasing these sequels. Like, I think it was a big part of, of like studios plans. Uh, unfortunately as, as deadline sort of reported out, which I'm sure was fed to them, but, uh, you know, Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman, his producing partner, they owned the first Knives Out and they, you know, I guess licensed it or, you know, got MRC to pay for it. And then MRC, you know, has its distribution deal or whatever with Lionsgate, whatever it is. It was all, it was just a single picture deal. That was the, you know, and, and that's where they get you when those single picture deals when something that's just supposed to be one movie sort of becomes this surprise hit. And a lot of that was because of Lionsgate's marketing department. I, I kind of, I'm surprised to, 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 I just don't think you mess with a formula for success. So while I understand that Netflix provides bigger, like more viewers and eyeballs, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it just feels like it would have done very well in, in theaters as the first one did making like $311 million on a $40 million budget. Um, but yeah, when you're, when you're getting an offer at that rate, like, I mean, that's generational wealth that, that Ryan Johnson could be making off this movie. I, I don't know what his ultimate, where his deal is going to end, but I imagine he could be making anywhere between 20 and $40 million for this movie. Uh, so, so that's going to set his, his grandkids and great grandkids up for life. So I understand why you have to pounce on that deal while you can, rather than just sort of cross your fingers and hope that, you know, the theatrical 
marketplace returns to where it was before the pandemic so that you can repeat this, the success like of the first one. Like just tough to, to capture that lightning in a bottle again, I think. Um, why, why, why take the risk of Lionsgate just sending your movie to like VOD? You know, if, the, if there's some other weird surge or, or you know, variants or, or whatever. Um, yeah, you take the Netflix deal and I, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to, to these movies. Like Ryan Johnson has a huge budget to play with now. Uh, he's, I can't wait to see the, the cast that, that, that he attracts. Um, we move on to Adam Wingard's big news. Adam Wingard, so I have not seen Godzilla vs. Kong yet. Part, you know, part of me nearly watched it last night just so I could have a little review here for the podcast. But I uh, actually have been busy finishing Them, the Amazon TV show. That I, I just wanted to, to knock that out. And then I finally finished last night. So that's like nine, ten hours, basically. It's ten episodes that are all roughly an hour long. Uh, so I just didn't have time to get to Godzilla vs. Kong. I'm going to watch it this weekend with my brother. Um, we kind of wanted to, to, to watch it together. Like, who wants to watch Godzilla vs. Kong alone? Like, I, you know, I wanted to make a, a night of it, you know, make some tacos with, with my bros or whatever and enjoy this blockbuster. So I can't weigh in. Excuse me. Can't weigh in on Wingard's biggest, you know, big studio movie. However, uh, I really liked the the press that he did about Thundercats. It was, um, so I'm not like, I, I don't know Thundercats. It wasn't something that I watched when I was a kid. Uh, I really, you know, it probably doesn't matter who was going to direct this or, or star in it. I'm probably not going to see the Thundercats movie. Having said that, uh, I know how popular Thundercats is. Like when I was a reporter at Variety, we did some article on Thundercats and I think it was in like the top 10, the rest of my years at Variety. Like it just every week, the Thundercat story was performing. Um, and so Wingard did this interview with, with Fleming at Deadline to promote Godzilla vs. Kong. And he got into the Thundercats movie of it all, which I don't know if that was like planned or not. But uh, the story was like kind of heartwarming and delightful. So I think, you know, as kids, we all had that, property that was like, oh my God, I would do anything to just write the next installment of, of this movie. For me, it was, uh, you know, probably like either Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Ghostbusters. Like I loved those two properties. Uh, and so, but Wingard was like into Thundercats and I guess he spent most of 10th grade, his sophomore year in high school, writing an actual Thundercats screenplay, you know, in Alabama. So, you know, most people are, are probably like, Adam, you're not even making it out of Alabama, let alone getting all the way to LA, let alone making it in Hollywood, let alone getting the job to direct a Thundercats movie. And this guy fucking showed all of them. Like, I think that's kind of awesome. Uh, and so he told the story about how, you know, his classmates would like make fun of him because he had these like, this whole fleshed out idea for Thundercats and, and this whole screenplay that he'd done by hand. And it, yeah, kids were like teasing him. Um, but now he's getting the last laugh and he's going to be, you know, writing the script with uh, Simon Barrett, you know, with whom he did The Guest and, and You're Next, which are two genre movies that I absolutely love. Um, and so, yeah, even though this may not be up my alley, I don't think you could, like, put this franchise in better hands than, you know, based on what I, you know, based on all the right things that uh, Wingard was saying in that interview, uh, I think you just want someone who, who A, cares about the property, which he clearly does. B, has the juice 
to get the movie made, which I think at this point regarding Wingard and Warner Brothers, based on, you know, just Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong, and, you know, the 9.6 million opening day, which is the, the best, uh, you know, day since the pandemic started in, in theaters. Um, I think that Wingard could be the guy to get this thing across the finish line. And, and he sounds so passionate about it that it's not like just, a, you know, some movie that he's attached to that he's going to develop for a little while and then someone else is going to come in or he's going to leave it for a bigger property. Like, I, I think this is, I think this is going to be like his, his next thing, unless he goes off and, and makes some small genre movie in the interim, which with Adam, you never can tell because he can sort of vacillate back and forth. Uh, yeah. You know what? Thundercats. Thundercats fans assemble. Yeah, I, I don't know what they say in, 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 in the, the series, but uh, I, I think this week was good news. Uh, good, and, and good news for, for, for producers Dan Lin and, and Roy Lee, who, both of whom I, I quite like. Um, all right, what else do we got? Russell Crowe joining Thor, Love and Thunder. This is just a little itty bitty cameo of sorts. Who knows if it's like, you know, the way Matt Damon played Loki or whatever. Maybe Russell Crowe will be playing Thanos. I saw some of that speculation online. I do wish some of this stuff could stay under wraps, um, but I get that once there's like paparazzi photos on set, or I guess it was photos of like him in a rugby match or playing rugby with you know other people involved in that shoot, it was like, okay, you know, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, and, and of course everybody wants to write it up for, for the traffic. I just, Oh, it'd be nice if things like that could actually fly under the radar and, and, and actually surprise audiences. Oh, well. Uh, Randall Park making his directorial debut with Shortcomings, which is apparently an acclaimed graphic novel about a trio of Asian Americans. This sounds um, like something that he probably read a while ago and, and really sparked to or, you know, st st stayed with him. And once he got enough industry clout to you know be like hey i i want a shot behind the camera like this would be the perfect thing for me uh yeah like i think everybody loves randall park i don't know anybody who's ever said anything bad about the guy he's kind of like one of these internet boyfriends if you will you know uh and so i was excited when that when that news came in excited to report it and i'll be excited to to see it and to see if he casts himself as one of the leads, I don't know if he's a little bit too old. Uh, if, if, if the, uh, you know, the characters in this are like early to mid twenties, I'm not quite sure where they are in their lives. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I want to see more people like Randall Park getting a shot behind the camera. Cause like that, that's a guy who has paid his dues in this industry. He's not showing up out of nowhere. Um, the staircase. Colin Firth stepping in for Harrison Ford, which, you know, is a story I've been holding for, for quite some time. And God, I was so frustrated, you know, we're, we're migrating a lot of the old Collider site onto like a new platform, which is really screwed with our posting times. And so it's like, geez, I spent months holding this Colin Firth story. Now it's finally, we're, able, we're finally able to report it. I get to break it at the same time as like Variety and Deadline or something and the story doesn't show up on the, on the homepage for like 20 minutes. So uh, frustrating to deal with that. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's really, it influences not just even breaks, but like exclusives, like the heads up on, you know, I gave Paramount uh, on Anthony Ramos. Like I, I couldn't give them a huge heads up 
because the truth is our stories have taken between 20 and 40 minutes to post on, on the, on the homepage. So like I knew a second, the second I sent that email, they'd be calling someone, whether it was Boris or Justin, you know, at Hot Reporter or Deadline, who was probably holding the Ramos thing. So I was like, yeah, no, nobody's getting a, a big heads up on, on this Transformers story, uh, unfortunately, because of our, our system. I know that's on us to figure out and we are figuring it out, but uh, so Colin Firth in the staircase, first of all, I like the idea of Colin Firth doing television and, and doing a, a big crime series for HBO Max. Would have been great to see Harrison Ford. Like, I think he would have been a huge draw for this. Um, but uh, I'm just, I'm not surprised Harrison Ford eventually fell out of this thing. Uh, Antonio Campos is directing. I, I'm a fan. Of, I don't, I haven't loved any of Antonio's stuff, but I, I like his, aesthetic and i think that this sort of feels closest to like christine that rebecca hall michael c hall movie that he did uh, i've never seen the staircase and i know it's like the first of the big sort of true crime limited series like this was way out in front before the the genre even became popular um i, I like I, I have it on dvd i think and i know it's available on netflix but i, I never saw the staircase i'm not familiar with like the particulars of the case uh i i've I've heard some rumblings about some some co-stars, perhaps, who are who are cool. Uh, I definitely like what they're cooking up here. And um, yeah, Colin Firth's a town magnet. You know, people want to work with the guy. He won an Oscar for King's Speech. He's got so many franchises under his belt. Uh, Mamma Mia and Kingsman and Bridget Jones. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. That sounds right up my alley. Uh, elsewhere in TV news, Amanda Seyfried's just stepping in for Kate McKinnon as Elizabeth Holmes in The Dropout on Hulu. Um, well, first of all, I mean, it's it's an upgrade. I mean, I like Kate McKinnon a lot. I think she's super talented. I don't think that this was the right role for her at all. Uh, you know, like Kristen Wiig, she's just one of those actresses. I can't really buy her doing dramatic stuff. Like everything just seems to have like a kind of, I don't know, like a smirk, a smirk to it. Um, so Amanda is, is certainly an upgrade. Uh, yeah, I guess she has those like kind of, she's blonde. She's got, she's got those big kind of eyes that are very intense. Um, that'll stare holds right through you like Liz Holmes would. I'd heard that they went after Saoirse Ronan for this, which I think would have been pretty interesting. One of my colleagues was like, absolutely not. Saoirse Ronan would have been all wrong for that. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm, I don't know. I felt like Amanda Seyfried could have been, could have done a little bit better than this series. Uh, in the wake of an Oscar nomination for Mank. But on the other hand, you know, it, it is her own starring role in a TV show. Uh, you know, if she wasn't going to be like Anna Delvey in that, you know, Netflix Shonda Rhimes series Invent Inventing Anna, I, I suppose this is like a, a, a solid get as well. Um, what else? Where are we going to go to now? Dexter Fletcher is directing the making of the Godfather movie series. The one that uh, Army Hammer was going to star in. Uh, Dexter Fletcher did did right by you know that period of time, like the seventies in, in Rocket Man. I think he'll like you know come up with some cool costumes and will be flashy and have some style. I think it would have been cool to have had like a real old master 
like someone who was around in the 70s and working in that that studio system who sort of knew the Peter Bartz and Ali McGraws of the world, you know, knew all the players, would have been cool to have a, a really, you know, an older guy do this. But uh, yeah, sure, Dexter Fletcher. I don't know what is going on with like his movie slate. You know, he was going to do Sherlock Holmes 3 and, and The Saint. I really haven't heard much about either of those projects. Uh, so maybe he was just looking looking for a gig. I don't know if he's directing the whole thing or just a pilot, but uh, it, it's never a bad idea to do TV and get that, you know, executive producer credit on, on the whole fucking show. Um, Dan Stevens stepping in for Army Hammer, speaking of, on Gaslit, the show with Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. Uh, negligible. I, I'm, I'm a big Dan Stevens guy, but I always, I also always liked Army Hammer. Um. Yeah, I mean, not not a big difference, and not a not a world of difference there between Dan Stevens and, and Army Hammer. Uh, Matt Reeves producing a remake of Sputnik. I talked about that movie last year. I quite liked it. It's a Russian movie. It, it looked great. Like I can't imagine what the budget was. It was probably sh- shot for pretty low money. Uh, but I loved the premise. I, I love what that director did with it. And so Matt Reeves is going to do an English language remake. And uh, I hope that they don't veer too far from the path. Um, Amazon, I thought this was kind of ironic that it's doing a, a movie about the Postal Service called the USPS with Jermaine Fowler. And I don't know if Jermaine Fowler, like, I, if this was my movie, if I'd written this script and spent like a year or two on it and then they cast Jermaine Fowler in it, I'd be like kind of bummed maybe. But uh, I haven't seen Superior Donuts, his, his old sitcom, or, or I haven't seen Coming to America. So I don't know if this guy has it or not. Um, I do think that the premise for this is potentially quite promising. I mean, this could be like a Kingsman franchise for, for Amazon, but like a little bit more comedic and less stylish action in the vein of Matthew Vaughn. Uh, it's basically like a guy who, who finds out either he enters the postal service and, and I, don't, I don't know if he, I think his mother is a mail carrier and he either discovers that she was sort of part of this men in black type organization or, you know, he, he inherits his mother's mail route and, and then discovers. So whatever it is, you know, I think it's like men in black meets, meets Kingsman and, uh, it, it, it could be interesting. It could be interesting. I just hope that they don't cheap out on it because it is a, a pretty good idea. Joe Alwyn and Dean Charles Chapman uh, join Lena Dunham's Catherine called Birdie. Uh, I'm a big, I, I like Dean Charles Chapman. I liked him in 1917. I liked him in Blinded by the Light. Uh, and I'm starting to see a lot of like young actors who look like Dean Charles Chapman. I watched Initiation uh, and I think I was looking at Gatlin Griffith, who is like the kid in Changeling, the Angelina Jolie movie. There's a kid in a teacher. Uh, they all look the same to me. I, and, I, and I like the look. Um, he has like a certain innocence about him. I like Dean Charles Chap. Dave Franco joining Jamie Foxx's Netflix movie Day Shift about, you know, like vampire hunters. Uh, I like Dave Franco as well. Kelvin Harrison Jr. This is one, like he's a good actor. And I really like Stephen Williams as the director. Kelvin Harrison Jr. is going to star in Chevalier de St. George as a musical prodigy. I just don't get who this movie is for. Like, who is, you know, these sort of period movies about musical prodigies, like, these are generally attended by older audiences. 
who are probably going to be unfamiliar with Kelvin Harrison Jr. I, I just, it's not that like I'm poo-pooing his casting or anything. I just, and again, Stephen Williams excites me as a filmmaker. I just don't know as an executive if I'd be excited to make a Chevalier de St. George's movie. Like, I just, I don't know about that one. Same thing for like this one. Like, you know, Jonas Salk. We all recognize the, the importance of, of Jonas Salk and what he did, finding a cure for polio and everything. But like, now we need a movie about it. Like, did, did the Rosamund Pike radioactive movie where she played Marie Curie, did that do anything? Like, you got to give me something more beyond just like, here's a famous scientist that you know by name. Like, what is the angle? What is the hook? And so Jeremy Strong playing Jonas Salk in something called Splendid Solution. Again, who was this for? Who was like staying home on a Friday night to watch that over everything else that is available on television? I, mean, I, I don't want those movies to just go away because, well, there's no Godzilla and Kong in it, so forget it. I don't want to come off as that guy. Believe me, I'm not that guy. I am the person who would rather focus on the movies that fall between the cracks, you know, among the larger blockbusters. Uh, so, I, you know, I have the utmost respect for, for indies and for these kinds of stories, but whether it's Chevalier de St. George or Jonas Salk, it's just like, oh, homework. I don't know. It feels boring. It's not as exciting as Donald Faison as Professor Utonium in the Powderpuff Girls series. Um, what else is there? Sylvester Stallone has a pitch for a Rocky prequel series. No. No, 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 no. You've, we've heard enough, Rocky. We've still got Creed Three coming. Stallone, move it along. Do other stuff. We don't need you going back to the signature, signature character. I don't need a Rocky prequel. It's anything. Series, movie, nothing. Just leave it, leave it, leave it be. Leave it alone. Uh, American Gods is canceled at Stars. Again, this is like an expensive show. Who is watching this fucking show? How do they justify... The expense, I've never, ever had a conversation with anybody about American gods. If I asked my friends or my brothers, and again, these are the real people, not the people who just consume entertainment for a living, but just the average person who, who I trust, I always ask my friends and my brothers, I guarantee they have no fucking idea what American gods is. Uh, but maybe it'll get a movie finale for, for the fans who are just devastated to see it go. Stars. I don't even know why Stars is investing in original content. I got to be honest. Like, I get that they have Outlander and, and maybe you know the the ghost, like the Power Book of Ghosts, whatever. Like, my dad loves loves that show, by the way. But like, man, I used to be a big Stars guy, and I don't know what these shows are. They they need to like, I mean, like, how is Stars losing out? on stuff like Manhunt Deadly Games to Spectrum, right? Or the Bad Boys show. Like, like is, is that stuff not classy enough for stars? Like, I'm just at a loss at some of the shows that they choose to develop and the shows that they, you know, I guess miss out on. Uh, Amy Poehler producing an animated movie titled Steps for Netflix. And Danny McBride is also working on an animated feature called Trouble. I actually really liked... Uh, the whole the whole synopsis for Trouble, which was like you know, going to the land of you're in the in the land of trouble, and then there's like you know, bad like big trouble, and uh, 
I don't know. It, was, it, it sounded very clever, the Danny McBride thing. The Amy Poehler thing, I mean, I get it. She's got, you know, Netflix's attention. And this is an animated movie that's going to be directed by, I believe it's an Asian woman. Um, so, you know, she, she's she's using her power and clout in the industry to, uh, you know, create jobs and opportunities for, for, for men, women of, of color, uh, which I think is a good thing. But it's like, I was watching... Mission Impossible last night with my dad. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And we were talking about, you know, how Tom Cruise produces the, the movies and everything. And like, Tom Cruise is one of those guys who likes to have a certain amount of creative control. And you can't have all the control when you're producing 20 fucking shows, right? And because it's like, listen, I'm sure they would love Tom Cruise to be a producer, executive producer. He could be developing so much stuff, right? He could be in the news every week, the way Amy Poehler kind of is. Uh, so, you know, I just don't love all the stuff. Poehler has so many balls in the air. Where's like a really good ball, you know? She just seems spread too thin and and it just made me think about Tom Cruise last night. Cause I was like, I respected that, that he doesn't, even though he could, he doesn't because he'd rather focus on some making one thing really good than just having his name on a bunch of projects that he like looks at a draft of and never talks about again. Um, yeah. Not to single out Amy Poehler for that. Like, you know, a lot of people do that and it's just like, you know, you want to have your a lot of irons in the fire because these things come and go and, and stop and start. But kudos to people like like Tom Cruise, who aren't, you know, even like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, who are huge A-list stars who have great production companies who generate fascinating material. Like I love, you know, the, the whether it's Leo and Brad's taste or the taste of their executives, Tom Cruise does not play that game. And, I, and part of me wonders why, but part of me doesn't want to wonder why and just be grateful that he doesn't. Uh, Corin Hardy directing Every House is Haunted for Netflix. He's the director of The Nun. I always keep an eye on Corin Hardy stuff because he was attached to direct The Crow at one point. Uh, Jensen Ackles voicing Batman in The Long Halloween. Sure, whatever. Uh, you know, that's just like one of these Warner Brothers direct-to-video animated things, isn't it? I, I didn't even click on that story. Uh, Neil Blomkamp's Demonic has got a release date for later this year. Ron Moore's working on A Court of... Thorns and Roses, that's, you know, a big fantasy series uh, for, for Hulu. Maybe that will, you know, end up being the next Game of Thrones or Wheel of Time or whatever. Uh, Aaron Sorkin started filming on Being the Ricardos, the one with Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball. Laika has uh, begun the production, I believe, on, a on its first live action movie, a thriller titled 17. I kind of love that for them. Like, Laika is a company that has... Um, like its name has value. It's a brand. And even though it's a brand in animation, I think that they, you know, show that they have certain taste and, uh, and it is like, they make kind of darker movies, right? Like the box trolls and paranormal and Coraline. So, you know, a live action thriller from like, it could be very, very interesting. Uh, Obi-Wan, I guess that should have been up uh, for, <laughs> further up, but since I'm not a big star Wars guy, it wasn't. Uh, we got a whole bunch of announcements for Obi-Wan this week, including pretty much the uh, entire cast. Um, that includes Joel Edgerton returning as Uncle... Is it Uncle Ben? I don't know. Uncle Owen. Is that it? I don't fucking know. Uncle Owen. 
Uh, anyways, I always liked Joel Edgerton. It also added Kumail Nanjiani, um, Rupert Friend, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Benny Safdie, Sung Kang, Sung Kang right? Uh, so pretty interesting cast for Obi-Wan, you know, who's not bad as Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar did not make the cut. Um, not surprised. He has not been a fan favorite over the years. Um, but yeah, look, you know, Obi-Wan, am I looking forward to this? No, <laughs> no, is, is the answer to that. But I guess if there was a Star Wars show that I was going to watch, it would be this one. And I did watch the season one of The Mandalorian, but I, yeah, I watched an episode or two of season two and I was like, eh, I'm good. I get it. Uh, what else? An Ally McBeal revival with Callista Flockhart. Just what we need. Oh, God. Safety scribe Randy McKinnon writing a static shock movie for uh, Michael B. Jordan uh, and, and Warner Brothers. Um, I'll just say again, and I, I saw it late last year, Safety was one of the best movies I saw last year. This was on Disney Plus. It's about the Clemson, you know, college football player who's like basically doubling as a father to his younger brother. It has to like hide him on campus. I loved Safety. It's the kind of thing Disney. I wish Disney Plus would do more of. And so, congrats to, to Randy Kinnan. Uh, sorry, Randy McKinnon on getting this big job. Uh, there were one week delays for Mortal Kombat and for Venom 2. We're going to have to wait another week for each of those in, in April and September, respectively. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard has moved up two months. What a terrible title. Anytime that you need multiple apostrophes in your title, uh, not good. And I, and I do remember walking out of that movie at CinemaCon, you know, partially because it was bad, partially because I just want to go hit the, hit the tables while I was in Vegas, but uh, not going to be seeing that movie. And Black Adam uh, planted itself in the summer of 2022 with a big Times Square announcement. Uh, what else? Wanted to plug a big SVU reunion tonight. I'm excited for that, to see Benson and Stabler back together. Uh, I think we get the premiere of Law & Order Organized Crime. And then check out Collider for the supercut, a supercut of uh, all the Godzilla vs. Kong cast talking about why Godzilla and Kong don't kiss in this movie. I know that is the number one thing that's been on the minds of Collider staffers uh, this month. Comic-Con announced that it's going to come back on Thanksgiving weekend. No, nobody wants this Comic-Con. This is not, Thanksgiving weekend is time for our families. Um, I recognize that there's a lot of people who aren't able to travel home to their families, uh, for, you know, and, and that is a privilege and, and maybe, you know, they, they're local to Los Angeles and they're just going to go down to San Diego that weekend for Comic-Con. But how do you get talents? Like, what, what talent is going to show up for this? Thanksgiving weekend is crazy enough with travel. Now, now you're asking, you know, 250,000 people to descend on the city of fucking San Diego. Like, just a mind-blowing decision. I'm sure that, that, that Comic-Con will uh, end up walking that one back. Just as the Academy ended up walking back, it's no Zoom rule for the Oscars. Uh, the Academy's, I mean, I don't know if you put this one on the Academy or, or the three Oscar producers that they hired, but like... The PR has just been a fucking nightmare. And I get, get, I get the situation is fluid and like, okay, bring a mask. We don't know if you're going to have to wear a mask, but just be prepared in case. Like, I get that this is an unprecedented situation, but I don't know. Like, can we just avoid making these declarative statements that then we have to walk back a week or two later once 
anyone puts like any thought into them. Uh, I want to talk quickly about the Jay Baker situation. So like that story broke and it was like, you know, Jay, he's a big agent at CA guy's been there 25, 26 years. And it's tough to stick around an agency like that for that long. This is a, 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 a major agent who I really had not heard anything bad about. Um, and so when the story first broke, it said that he had been fired for making an inappropriate joke. And I was like, give me a fucking break. Like, you know, who is, who did he make this joke to? What was, you know, everybody wanted to know what is the joke? Uh, because I, I feel like, you know, things pop into our brains and then we say them and then it's like, I, I, it's, as it's coming out, I, I, I just like, I'm having this second thought, but it said, and now shit, could my entire like livelihood and, and reputation go down the drain? Um, and I don't really like to see people punished to the to that extent for, for things like that. I mean, you still we still all have to be accountable to the things that we say. But uh, yeah, you know, if it was just like a, a joke, I don't know, like find a way to take it up with the person you offended one on one, or you know, maybe some kind of suspension would be more appropriate. You know, some, something to edge, you know, some type of education. Here's the thing about the Jay Baker situation. So at first I, I was like, oh God, another another one of these, like this guy's getting fired for a joke. What is wrong with Hollywood? But then it came out what, what actually happened. And it was like, he sent um, uh, Jewel Keats Ross, uh, right, it was uh, an email like involving a clip from Menace to Society. And basically, you know, uh, Mr. Ross was basically like uh, asking Jay Baker, can I just get a link to Neil Berger's new movie Voyagers? Um, because I want to see, you know, we're, we're considering the lead actress, I, who I imagine he's referring to Lily Rose Depp, for a project that he's developing as a producer. Uh, you know, these kinds of favors are, happen every day. And, it, and it's really no big deal for an agent to sort of facilitate that kind of thing. Um, although, you know, you'd think that maybe you'd go to like Lily Rose Depp's agents and be like, hey, I'm considering Lily for a part. Can you get me a link to her new movie rather than going to Neil Berger's Team. Uh, but you know he the director is obviously you know has some control over who, who's going to get to see his movie early and whatnot anyways so jay baker sends this email where it's like geez you know you're the way that you're approaching me sort of begging me for a link to this movie it's like you're a crack addict uh you know who's like willing to suck dick for for a little bit of crack like and it just takes a lot like you have a lot of time and opportunity when you're like okay i want to send this email so now you're, you're thinking about it. You have some time. Now I got to go find the clip to that scene on YouTube. Okay, I found it. Now I'm going to paste it into this email. And now I'm going to send it. And then it takes enough time where your mind should be able to go, this is wrong, don't do this. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship uh, the, the two of these guys have together. Uh, Miss Ross is uh, a gay black man. And I would assume that Jay Baker knew that, although it's possible that he didn't. But if you're, you know, I don't know if they shared any clients or, or what, uh, but they clearly seem to, to know each other for a while. Doesn't mean you have to know everything about a person, right? And so, you know, when he got this email, uh, he was, you know, offended and, and rightfully so, I, I get that. And, and, he, and he sent back this email to Jay, sort of calling him out on it, standing up for himself. And I can't blame him. Like you kind of, you have to point out these things 
because it's obviously not okay to send an email like that. Like, again, I've said regrettable things in my career, um, but I just don't think I'd ever, I would know better than to send an email like that to, to that person particularly. Uh, and it just showed really bad judgment. And if I was a major star director, I, I don't know that I'd want to be represented by someone who, who judged that to be acceptable. Um, and so well, I think Jay Baker is going to land on his feet, whether he lines up at ICM or range media partners, whatever. And I don't think of that Jay Baker is a, is a racist. I, I, I do not think that. Um, and I think that we have to move away from, from that kind of thing. I think this is a misstep and, Unfortunately, I think that his firing was probably due. It's certainly justifiable. You can't, um, you just can't be sending emails like that in, in, in this day and age. And, and particularly if you're in the representation business where like what you do, and we're all representatives, I'm a representative collider right now, but like, I don't, I'm not responsible for the careers of, you know, 12 to 20 people. You know, uh, what I say pretty much reflects just on me. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not surprised CA had to make that difficult decision to let this agent go. I hope Jay Baker lands on his feet because I don't think this is something that should like expel him from the industry. And he did issue a, a what seemed to be a sincere, genuine apology where he showed real remorse and, and understood what he did wrong here. Um, yeah, it's just a sad situation all around. And, and I'm sorry that... Uh, that, that Jewel Ross had to had to go through that because it sounds like a very painful situation. Uh, all right, reviews. I can't talk about them yet. I'm still under embargo. I'm gonna have a lot to say about that show. Um, and, and listen, it, it it speaks to the fact that I, I binged it all in the last over the last few days, which was uh, you know not an insignificant commitment. Uh, I watched Funny Face, the new movie from Tim Sutton, because I, I you know I saw Dark Knight at Sundance, not The Dark Knight. I saw this movie Dark Knight at Sundance um, and I really liked like the soundtrack and some of the performances, but otherwise I could not wait to get out of that theater. Like I was just like, it was oppressive. I hated it. I hated every second of it. Uh, <laughs> and then he did Donnybrook, which I liked. Um, and so on the basis of Donnybrook, I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I wanna check out Tim Sutton's new movie, Funny Face. No, it was like another thing like, uh, like Dark Knight, except not nearly as, as interesting. I, I like the lead Cosmo Jarvis. Like he's got like a De Niro thing to him, which is like big fighting words, right? Anytime you're comparing anybody to De Niro. Uh, and I like that movie that he did. It was called Calm With Horses, right? But it was called, uh, what, The Sound of Violence or something like that with Barry Cogan. Like Cosmo Jarvis is a guy, he was, he was also the male lead in Lady Macbeth. Macbeth. I think he's going to start to blow up in like a Matthias Schoenarts uh, kind of way. But this movie, Funny Face, no, didn't do it for me. Was like all, all over the place, unfocused, did not did not explode with the rage that I thought it was going to. I watched Bad Trip, which I thought was fun. The, and I'm not a big Eric Andre guy. Like he, he's a kind of acquired taste. Um, but you know what, for a fucking candid camera, like prank movie with a very loose Dumb and Dumber inspired plot, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I laughed out loud a couple of times. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty stupid, but it's an 86-minute fucking movie for Netflix. And and uh, anything, you know, uh, any movies, because I'm really watching Netflix for, like, the shows, right? Any movie that comes along that can hold 
my attention and entertain me for an hour and a half. That's just a bonus on, on my subscription. Uh, so I, I would recommend Bad Trip if you need like a, a cheap laugh. But if you just can't stand those types of like prank shows or whatever, it's probably not for you. Uh, Every Breath You Take, this is another like classic, send this thing to VOD, pandemic or not movie. Uh, it's like a psychological thriller, you know, involving psychiatrists, uh, Casey Affleck and, and Michelle Monaghan, who are both good actors. I mean, I love Casey Affleck. Walk, sleepwalk through this movie. Like they're just on fucking autopilot the entire time. The only one uh, who, who's really like locked into this material and looks like he's having some fun is Sam Claflin, who's kind of doing his Cape Fear here. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think Sam Claflin's a pretty good actor. I loved him in The Nightingale. And he's really the only one who, who came to play. Um, we got a zillion trailers this week. Spiral from the Book of Saw. Yes, sign me up. I'm totally fucking there. I've been there for all the dumb Saw sequels on opening night, like Thursday opening night, Saw 6. I'm fucking there in the theater. Uh, and I'll be there for this one too. Um, Wrath of Man looked awesome. Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham back together doing fucking armored truck heist shit. Like, yes, 100%. The Night House. This was a trailer that I felt was botched um, as I tweeted. And it's because they're selling it like it's like a fucking Conjuring movie, which I knew that they were going to based on what they paid for it, right? A Haunted House movie. Like, it's got to be like The Conjuring or any or like any of these fucking Blumhouse bump in the night movies. This is not that. This is a fucking drama. Uh, and that, that should have been sold off the bat. And I'm sure it will in, in, in trailer two, 100%. But trailer one, you got to make a good first impression. You should have done that with critical quotes. This is a Rebecca Hall, like a great performance, legitimately. Um, she's very, very, very good. And it, you should have trotted out the quotes. And you also need to ditch the some of the, like the the trailer music that you've got here. Go with like the, the the auditory theme of the movie is that Cavalry Cross song. And I think like that's what it should have been. It should have been here's this song that like was special between this couple, and now it's being played on their radio or on their stereo in her bedroom. The song's fucking turning on on its own. That to me is creepier than like fucking boom. Like, you know, the, these jump scares that that trailer is built on. Uh, I wish that studios would just, I just want one studio to hire me as a consultant. Show me their marketing material. Show me, this is our poster. What do you think? This is our trailer. What do you think? And just get my thoughts before you do it. Because I guarantee I could fucking improve it. I would have nipped this in the bud right off the bat. The Night House, not a good trailer. Together, Together looked, I mean, I, I saw it at Santa that it was absolutely charming. And I think that the trailer did a good, good job of selling that. Uh, <clears throat> Ed Helms is as likable as ever in this movie, but Patty Harrison, it really is like a breakout movie for her. I don't know if she's going to end up being a movie star, um, but this movie was like right in her wheelhouse. She, she was very good because she, she, she was not someone who was really on my radar before this. Um, Above Suspicion. This is a movie that was shot. Philip Noyce shot it in like 2017. The trailer has been floating around for the last year, like an international trailer, because this thing has been, you know, it's already had its overseas release, but it's finally coming out in the States uh, in the next, you know, month or two. It's Jack Houston, Amelia Clark, two performers who I, to be honest, don't really care for. But I've heard good things about this movie from Jeff Wells, who I think 
is a tough sell. I mean, I know he's a Philip Noyce. He's in the tank for Noyce, so it might be one of those things. But listen, if this ends up being like an above-average VOD movie, I'll be excited. We got a trailer for Zola, uh, which, yeah, looks just like the movie that I saw at Sundance, which was mediocre. Um, I get that we all want to be excited about uh, Janisa Bravo, um, but to me, this was just empty calories. This was style over substance. This was Spring Breakers all over again. And if you love Spring Breakers and you think it's a masterpiece, you're probably going to love Zola. I, I really liked the story and like, I was pumped for Zola. I've been all over Zola's development. You can ask Zola herself how many DMs she's gotten from me over the years. Uh, I just didn't think the, tr the, the movie did anything for me. It, it just, yeah. Uh, who, uh, mm -mm. Nope, mm -mm. can't, can't, can't uh, endorse that one. Uh, we got trailers for The Bad Batch and Shadow and Bone. I didn't watch either one of those. Like Shadow and Bone, that's like a YA thing, right? On Netflix? No. The Bad Batch, animated Star Wars? No. Wall Street, a Mark Wahlberg documentary just about how amazing he is. You got to love the, these vanity shows, guys. Like, holy shit. <laughs> you got to love it. Because um, like they really, like, guys like Wahlberg and The Rock, who I both like. You know, and, and kudos to them on their success if they want to wake up at four in the morning and, and have the kind, the kind of schedule that they have. Like, they, they have earned their success, believe me. I just don't know that I need to, like, watch a series about how they made it all happen and how amazing their, their business acumen is. Like, we get it. I mean, the once you're a celebrity, the opportunities that you're bombarded with, it's insane. You know, whether it's actors who are now children's book authors or, I mean, so you can do anything that you want. Once you're famous, right? They can leverage you into 18 zillion. Here's a podcast. Here's a children's book. Here's now you're producing this thing that you know nothing about, but you're famous. And so we can say from executive producer, or famous guy. Uh, a couple more trailers, by the way, arriving. We, I've heard Halloween Kills. We're getting a new trailer for that tomorrow, Friday, I, I believe. Uh, could be wrong. And then Space Jam, that trailer is confirmed for Saturday morning. So stay tuned for that. Uh, a couple mailbag questions before we wrap this up. A mailbag from Carter Bennett. Do I think Bullet Train is coming out in the fourth quarter of this year? Here's what I would say, Carter. I think it could be ready by then, potentially. And I, I haven't taken a close look at Sony's calendar, so I don't know if they need a big sort of Christmas tentpole, which they might because Venom 2 is, is uh, September. It's not like they have a new Jumanji movie. It's not like they're... Right, Spider-Man 3 is not the end of this year, is it? I don't even, I don't know. Um, I would just assume, like, leaving aside Spider-Man 3, which, I, which I'm not even sure what the date is, uh, and I'm too lazy to Google it, it feels like there's going to be a pileup of all these sort of big movies that have been, you know, sitting on a shelf. Uh, and so I would assume, no, that, it, that it's not. It also feels like more of a summer-type movie. You know, with a big cast and, and Brad Pitt and action, it just doesn't scream Christmas to me. Uh, and also, this may be the first Christmas, like, you know, people weren't really able to travel this past year. Uh, so maybe everyone like, this Christmas is going to, like, be with their families and seeing all the people that they haven't been able to see for a long time. I'm going to guess no. I'm going to guess that we see it in summer 2022. Also, because this, if you did do a theatrical release, for this at Christmas, you'd probably have to start advertising it like this summer. And I just don't know if 
if they're there yet on this title. Um, Robert Giacinta, or Giacinta, forgive me, Robert, if I mispronounced it, said uh, he watched Sound of Metal a couple days ago. Great movie. He noticed some scenes were filmed at a diner located about five minutes away from where I live in Massachusetts. Are there, uh, are there any movies ever filmed near where I live right now uh, in, in Needham? Um, geez, that's a good question. I don't really remember any Needham movie shoots. There's a lot of stuff filmed in Newton, right? Defending Jacob, I think, was shot heavily in Newton. Um, I mean, listen, there's been a lot, like, I didn't know Sound of Metal was something that was shot in Massachusetts or that Jungle Land was shot in Massachusetts. I, I, it seemed like late last year, everything I was watching was shot in fucking Massachusetts. So kudos to like the Massachusetts state, you know, film board on, on getting all these shoots and giving them the tax incentives to do this. Cause I, I think Massachusetts, um, it has a lot of different looks, you know, it, it has that maybe rundown industrial look that jungle land had, but also like this, we're in the middle of nowhere, uh, you know, farm, land type of thing like Sound of Metal had. Uh, and then there's like, you know, the, the the suburbs of Boston where I live, which look very different for both of those settings. So uh, yeah, Massachusetts, we, we can we can do anything here. Um, but no, no, no movies I, I, that have really been shot in this town. A lot, a lot shot in around me, but not necessarily in this town. And Keltrick Pickens, uh, happy belated birthday, by the way. His birthday was March 25th. Uh, forgive me for not reading it. Uh, th this question last week. Just turned 23. Wow, God, would I, I, I'd kill to be that young again. Uh, he's been a fan of mine for a while. Thank you. His question is, if Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert were still alive today, do you think they'd approve or disapprove of the current state of film criticism? And what is my opinion on the current state of film criticism? Uh, I would say that the current state of film criticism is both good and bad. I think that, uh, you know, the fact that we go to Rotten Tomatoes, right, and, and we get our, you know, what is the, the tomato rating? Um, and sometimes that's just influenced by a handful of top critics who have had access to a movie, and sometimes it's influenced by 900 people, you know, and, and the critic is Robert from Robert's Hot Blog, and, and it's just like, who are these people, and why do they get to affect the critic rating because they write reviews. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes, as much as I, you know, would like to be a part of it for professional reasons, I'm not going to like bend over backwards to, to, to get through these fucking requirements because they're insane. I mean, first of all, are you a critic if you have a YouTube show or a blog? Like if I talk about movies every week, I review movies every week on the, on the show. Does that make me a critic? Should I be in the, in the broadcast film critics association? I think criticism is a written thing and only people who write criticism should be counting on the Rotten Tomatoes score. Uh, I would say that I think that there's a lot of great film writing happening. I also think that there's a lot of film, film writing that's happening from the perspective of does this movie hit the, all the check boxes that I want from, you know, diversity and all the ists and the isms and like, they're just looking at it from, from that point of view, which I don't think is healthy uh, there's people like, I mean, I think there's a wide variety of criticism. Some people are, are looking for the entire package and then the technical specs and, you know, what do the visual effects look like? And like me, I just care about a story, story and performance. Like, I'm not really going to get too hung up on, on if you're, you know, what was the framing like, or, or what was the cinematography? I just, I don't fucking care. Just tell me a good story that I can tell, talk to my friends about, uh, 
with some good performances. So like, I'm a critic, but I also am not a, a critic who like penetrates too deeply into what is the director trying to convey with this shot and what, what, what is behind this choice and what, what is this a metaphor for? I'm not trying to read movies like that, um, which is why I'm not a critic and why when I do do criticism, um, I, I struggle to get back into it because it, it's like a muscle that you have to flex. So when you haven't done it for a while, it's tough to like start to, to like change the gears in your head and start thinking critically. Um, you know, these days I, I, I just prefer reviewing television. Um, not to say that I wouldn't, you know, do like to do more film reviews, but uh, I think Siskel and Ebert would probably be disappointed um, because I don't think film critics matter that much anyways. I, I don't think that the public is paying attention to them that much. I don't think that the critical quotes, you know, in a newspaper ad are really forcing anybody's hand. It's all, you know, it's the social media, it's the bubble that you've built for yourself and, and who in that bubble do you trust and who can you rely on? I, I, I hope you guys think you can rely on me and that's why you're, you watch this podcast and, and, you know, follow me on Twitter or, uh, you know, follow the insider.blogspot.com where I keep all the reviews um, and, and try to give some context by putting them into categories because it's, you know, something could be three stars, but I, th I thought they left that fourth star on the table like Jockey, which I thought could have been great, but was only just good. It was good, you know? Uh, then there's movies where it's like, okay, it's just good, but like I wasn't expecting it to be great. So it surpassed my expectations. And it, so that, that's why I have the categories that I do on Blogspot. Um, I, I think I have a good rating system. I, you know, I, it, it works for me and that's all that really matters. Um, but yeah, you know, feel free to DM me with any questions, if you guys need any recommendations, always check out the blog spot first. And uh, I guess that's it for the show, really. Um, yeah. If you're watching this and we used to date, uh, then call me. Because um, it'd be nice to hear from you. But if we didn't date and you're just one of my many fans, have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for your patronage. Stay safe out there and be patient because you're going to get the vaccine. It's coming. We're all going to be healthy for the summer. It's going to be a great summer. Get excited and I'll see you next Friday or Thursday. Sorry. Bye.